Hello, creepy cats. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, Jackie is going to tell Melissa about a former NFL player who committed devious crimes. The crimes were supposedly fueled by cult leader Yahweh Ben Yahweh in order to take down the cult's enemies. Was Robert Rozier following cult's orders, or did Robert act alone and frame the cult due to their growing power in the community? Please be aware that this episode will discuss graphic violence, murder, and dismemberment. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy, and I will be telling Melissa another crime story about an ex-NFL player. Sporty, sporty, sport. I'm excited to hear it. We love sports. Who are you guys rooting for in the Super Bowl if you're from America? Also, I realized we should have said, like, the NFL because we have... We do have a lot of listeners who aren't from America. Is the National Football League <laughs> in America? I'm sure they probably. If you don't know. I'm sure they probably put that together. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, if they didn't, just in case you didn't, we should have prefaced with that. But the Super Bowl is upon us. So let us know if you guys are football fans and if you're rooting for anybody. I'm rooting for L.A. And if you, who's here for the puppy bowl? Because that is always my favorite part. Give me the puppy bowl. Oh my baby. god, I love the puppy bowl. I know that is one of the best parts. We love the puppy bowl. So pure it is. So let's get into something that isn't so pure. A little crime story. This one is like it's a lot. You'll know what I mean when I start off. So this story does have to do with. Yahweh Ben Yahweh, which is a cult from the 1980s. So that in and of itself is a lot. And I'm not going to be talking like in detail about that because it would just turn this episode into like a three hour podcast, but you'll get the details. You'll get the gist of what happened. I'm sure there are so many podcasts talking about that too. So yeah, if you want that story, we're not doing Ew, that's Yahweh Ben Yahweh today. (laughs) Ew, that's Yahweh. (laughs) So, a little bit of background on Yahweh Ben Yahweh. I do like that name, though. I'm not going to lie. I do, too. It definitely feels almost like real ritualistic when you say it. I feel like just by saying it, I'm summoning. Yeah, you're, like, bringing him here. So, let's get into it. Doja Cat. Yeah. (laughs) In the 1980s in Miami, Florida, it was a rough time. I mean, the 80s, people do say it's one of the deadliest decades, like it was a crazy time. So Miami was, since it's a big city and it's kind of just a party city anyway, it was just kind of out of control. There was a lot of racism and segregation happening. In 1979, uh man named Arthur McDuffie was a black man. He was killed by police. He was a real estate agent and was just driving in his car and got pulled over. And then somehow it ensued to him being shot by police and killed. 
So there were riots that broke out similar to how there were in America in 2021. And what year was that? 1979. So, yeah, crazy that we're still seeing very similar, if not the same exact scenarios happen in present day. But this obviously caused a lot of disconnect between the white and black communities and just a lot of upheaval. Mm -hmm. And Miami's already such a cultural place so diverse there yeah that's for sure it's is a very diverse area and so i can imagine how this would be like a very big deal so yahweh ben yahweh he himself grew up in a religious home his father was a preacher and people say that he was a really caring person his family was caring his mother was a great pianist (laughs) He had a positive life, but he was always looking for the truth and kind of searching for, like, life's purpose type stuff. So he did move to Florida, and eventually he started his own group called the Nation of Yahweh and called himself Yahweh Ben Yahweh, as we know. And he kind of, he definitely took, I'd say, took advantage of the times. Not took took advantage, but he was really popular during this time because a lot of his message was geared towards uh, the African-American community. And it talked a lot about the discord between black and white people and just how black people really needed to, like, come together because white people were not going to advocate for them. That was kind of his message. And so he did attract a crowd pretty quickly and pretty easily. And his message at first did start off as, you know, a lot of kind of cult leaders do. It starts off all positive and normal, but... Yep, that's how they get you. Yeah, and then as it goes along, they kind of just spiral and it gets a little crazier. But he preached that Jesus and a lot of other biblical biblical figures were black and brown people, but they were just portrayed in the Bible and rewritten as white people. So this did make a lot of black and brown people feel strong and comforted by this message because it's something that they had obviously never heard before. And especially in a time when there's so much turmoil and the African-American community is just constantly feeling uncared for. Totally. Like, they're never getting justice, and there's always violence happening on their community. It's like, what the heck? So this is a comforting message for a lot of people to hear, and it's easy for him to draw a crowd. But it's like kind of from the jump, there was just a little bit of violence mixed in with his group and his members. At one point, people messed with Yahweh Ben Yahweh members, and then a group of Nation of Yahweh members, like 10, 15 men, would just go and, like, beat someone up in public to kind of give them a reputation, like, don't talk crap on us or any of our members or we will beat you up in public. Were they white? Were they targeted people who they believed were against their group? When they were beating up people, I think it just started like, people who talk crap on them, so I'm assuming it was white people. Okay. But at first, it wasn't, they weren't just, like, beating up randoms, but it was, like, you know, if you talk some smack, 
they would beat you up in public. Send and like, a message. Yep. And kind of humiliate you in a way. Yikes. Yeah, not people you want to mess with. But Yahweh Ben Yahweh, like, he's an interesting guy. There's a lot to learn about him. I mean, in this area, he did, he had like a multi-million dollar empire. He started schools, grocery stores, apartment buildings. He employed hundreds of people who worked in the area. Damn, he's like Pablo Escobar. Yeah, and he was like really hailed at first as a black role model. He was credited with, and he was doing all of this stuff in low-income areas. So it's not like he's doing this in richer areas. He's doing it where people need jobs. And it kind of did not drive out like drug dealers and those sorts, but it just provided people with jobs, employment, that sort of thing, you know? Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it was, it was good. And I mean, he was also like getting a lot of money because he's opening up all this stuff. So it's equal parts religion and church in equal parts like he's doing work for the community. Okay. Yeah. So So, it's starting out pretty good. (laughs) Seems to be great. Yeah. And eventually when he's popping, he just starts sending out some of his members to recruit. So it just continues to expand to like, and he would send members to different states. Like he was expanding and getting the word out all over the place. Wow. Yeah. I'm surprised he doesn't want to be president yet. <laughs> he might have said it. I'm not even going to lie. That's two twenty twenty one. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at that point, they probably still thought that, like, only political people could be president, so I don't know. True. But the police kind of had their eyes on the nation of Yahweh for a while. And it started in 1981. So the Nation of Yahweh kind of just began in, like, 1980, I'd say. So in 1981, police kind of start just looking into the Nation of Yahweh. A man named Ashton Green had been murdered and decapitated. Uh, holy shit. Yeah. How did we get here? One second ago, we're like, he's building up the community, it's great, and now someone is decapitated. Because that's basically how it happened. Like, there were, like, these little breakouts of violence with Yah- or the Nation of Yahweh members, you know, like, beating up some people and stuff, but it kind of was out of the blue that some... So this body turns up. It was beaten and decapitated, and it was found in the glades in an area where it kind of was like you'd want it to be seen. Okay. And it was found in the morning by a jogger. And later on that day, a couple named Mildred Banks and Carlton Carey, they were ambushed in their home and shot multiple times, the couple Mildred ended up surviving, but sadly, Carlton Carey passed away. And Mildred didn't know who had shot at them because it just all happened so quickly. She was just, like, shook, you know. It's so sad. It is so sad. And she couldn't see who did it. So these three shootings, well, basically two shootings, occur 
really close together, and it is not long for police to figure out that they're all Nation of Yahweh members, and they're all roommates, because Mildred and Carlton Carey lived together, and I'm pretty sure that Ashton Green lived with them, or was at least pretty close to them. Oh, shit. Yeah, so they're like, I mean, three Nation of Yahweh members are dead in 24 hours, and one of them is decapitated. Like, what's going on here? Either someone is picking off Yahweh members, or Yahweh is having some internal troubles. Exactly. And they did some digging, and I don't know if they got this information right from Mildred or who exactly this came from, but they did figure out that Mildred and Carlton were talking about starting up their own group. They were going to, like, leave. I think Ashton Green was kind of on the same page that he wanted to get out of the nation of Yahweh because at this point it had become very cult-like. It was very controlling. He had really gained such a following. There were so many people, and I mean, one, because he was... providing jobs and employment to all these people, but two, Miami is, like, all around that area is pretty populated, so it wouldn't really take you long to get a following, but he has so many people that he's really able to start controlling, like, everything about people. A lot of the men, well, not a lot, basically all of the men were told that you couldn't have sex unless it was for uh, procreation, He had a lot of rules, like most cult leaders tend to do. They all had to wear white, long white gowns and white turbans, and... Oh, I've seen the pictures of all of them! Yeah, and, you know, it's like, as a lot of cult leaders do, he was telling the men not to have sex, but he was having sex with a lot of women in the nation of Yahweh, some who were single and some who were married and whose husbands were also in the cult. Oh my God. And one of the documentaries I watched about the nation of Yahweh, one of the ex-members said that him and his wife joined the nation together and he went on on one of those little tours to like tell people about the nation of Yahweh in, like, a different state. And when he came back, Yahweh ben Yahweh told him, like, okay, you're going to go live here. But, like, his wife still lived in the big home with Yahweh ben Yahweh. Why so that was wife? kind of like, that was, yeah, he was like, okay, what's up with that? So that, is, that breaks my heart. And it's always so tragic and yet very creepy when couples go into a cult together and the cult leader separates them. That, oh yeah. I hate that. It makes me so sad. And it's just crazy thinking the power of one person can separate marriage and love. Yeah. And people always, I know people say, oh, that's so crazy. How could you ever do that? But it starts out small. You know, at first this guy's just talking about black power and black unity and the black community coming together and how there were powerful black figures. It starts off like really positive and then he gets a bigger following and all of his members are doing the same thing. So it's like if you liked his message, you'd be like, okay, well, all of these other people who agree with the message are doing this and, you know, I should just do it too. It starts out small and then it gets big. Before you know it, you and your spouse are separated. Yeah. Then it gets to brainwashing and all that, all that crazy cult mess. 
Yeah. So I'm sure you, this like goes into so much detail over the years, but it is like over the years, his control gets increasingly, as he gets more people, it's more and more control. He knows everything about everybody, like Gretchen Wieners. He knows everything that's going on in the nation of Yahweh. Everything is under his thumb. He is Regina George, Gretchen Wieners, and Caddy all put together. He is all of the main characters in one. But like other cult leaders, he teaches that if you left Yahweh bin Yahweh, you weren't a true believer and you were like basically denying the message of love because he was like, I am one of the true saviors. So if you're denying me, that's what you're really denying. So, like, it's sending a clear message that if you're in the nation of Yahweh and you leave, you're a bad person. You're an outcast. Literally, you're either with us or against us. Yeah. So, even after the murders of Ashton Green and Carlton Carey, the police, for whatever reason, didn't arrest anybody for this. And Yahweh Ben Yahweh just kept expanding to more and more people his words getting out. I know you guys are like, okay, well, what does this have to do with an NFL player? Well, eventually, someone who hears about his word and his temple in 1982, a year after um, the double murder, is Robert Rozier, and he is a former NFL player. I thought for a second Yahweh Ben Yahweh was about to join the NFL and then expand his cult and have an NFL team. <laughs> oh my god, that would be crazy. That would be a plot twist. So, Robert Rozier was born on July 28th, 1955 in Anchorage, Alaska. He was kind of like a army brat, but Air Force. Was born in Alaska, but grew up in California. He went to Cordova High School in Rancho Cordova, California. I saw somewhere that he got a 1.3 GPA. I mean, I'm not judging, but I was like, wow. Wow. So he did not receive his high school diploma, but he was obviously a terrific football player. He did later become a student at both Grays Harbor College and the University of California, Berkeley. How did he go to college if he didn't graduate from high school? I was literally thinking that. Like, I do not know. I mean, I do not know. Someone footballed that shit and pulled a string. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Or maybe, like, I don't know. They could have just lied. True. <laughs> I don't know. But they do say in high school he was obviously great at football. He was defensive end. That was his position. He had like all league, all conference, you know, all those awards. He was also really good at like the high jump and vertical jump and sprinting. So he was all around just a really good athlete. But because he didn't have his high school diploma, I think that did like make it hard for him to get a full on scholarship in a D1 college, like how it is today type thing. But people do say he was the best athlete, like on the team. Like he was always just a really good football player. Mm -hmm. But eventually he was somehow drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know how exactly he was drafted, to be honest. Damn. But it was in the 1979 NFL draft in the ninth round. 
and he was drafted as a defensive end. He played as number 75, but he only played for six games, and he didn't start in any of them. No. They, sadly, I believe that his professional career as a football player just didn't really take off because of allegations of drug use and petty crimes. He did briefly play in the Canadian Football League for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and then after that he signed with the Oakland Raiders, but only for two weeks. What? When he was playing for, when he was playing football in Canada, he wrote bad checks for, it'd be approximately like $50,000. Oh, yikes. So he had um, some warrants out for his arrest by, like, the 80s. I'm assuming that is what really cut his NFL career short. Sir, you didn't think the Raiders were going to find out about your warrant? I don't even know. I don't know what the Raiders did. But he did not continue his NFL career after the Raiders. I don't know what exactly he did after that, but he says that he was kind of just lost and, like, looking for a purpose. So I'm sure hearing about the nation of Yahweh was, like, just what he needed at the time. No. And he was recruited into the nation of Yahweh, and I believe he wasn't living in Florida, but he moved to Florida to where it was to just, like, be engulfed in this. And he was, like... I don't know if it was because of his NFL status or whatever, but he definitely has some privilege in the nation of Yahweh. He was kind of like one of the higher-ups, because there's definitely a hierarchy here. So he was one of the people closer to Yahweh being Yahweh. Mm -hmm. But there were also rumors that he was kicked out of the temple multiple times because he was kind of just hard to control. He was really, like, wild, and he would fight a lot, and kind of go a little crazy. Not really the person to be tamed and in a cult where you're being told what to do. Yeah. So he was going a little wild, but he was a member of the cult since 1982. And it was in 1986 when things just kind of started going haywire. (laughs) So he joined the same year that those murders and robberies started? No, he joined the year after. Okay. So that happened in 1981, and he joined in 1982. Okay. And I think things went somewhat smoothly for a while. I think things, you know, like Yahweh Ben Yahweh was just expanding throughout the years and doing his thing. But eventually, things just took a a dark turn. Yahweh Ben Yahweh started telling his members that he wanted white devils killed, which was what he called white people who he wanted killed, basically to pay for what they had done to black people in general. And he started directing his... He had this group of people that Yahweh Ben Yahweh called the Brotherhood, and it was, like, established in the nation of Yahweh, and they had to go kill a white devil 
to be considered part of this brotherhood. But they would have secret meetings conducted just by Yahweh ben Yahweh. And you had to keep it a secret or, like, they would basically kill you if you didn't. And, yeah, it was, like, the rule was to become a member of the brotherhood. You had to kill a white person and bring proof of the kill to Yahweh in the form of a head or another body part. This is dark. It is dark. And between April and October of 1986, I think this is when this, the brotherhood kind of started and he would call them his death angels. He sent his death angels to basically go kill random white people and commit acts of retribution. So he just kind of told his members to like go out and kill people and bring me back the proof. Damn. So this is when it all happened. And after this, from April until October, stuff just kind of started going crazy in Miami. In September of 1986, Raymond Kelly, he was a guy who would go to this place called the Teepee Lounge a lot. He was like a regular. And in one night in September, he was out drinking and he had too much to drink. So he went to sleep in his car after having too much to drink and he fell asleep for a bit. But he was awakened in the middle of the night when somebody started stabbing him when he was in his car. Oh my god. He was stabbed to death. His ears were removed. <gasps> And then his glasses were put back onto his head. What? One of the ears was found, like, nearby, and then one was not. That's sick. Yeah. And Raymond Kelly had a gun in his car that was stolen, and it just looked random. They had no suspects. They were pretty, like, police just really didn't know. And at this point... They thought the ears thing was pretty weird, but they couldn't exactly place it to anybody from the nation of Yahweh. But this was the first time that they did get prints off the car and the gun was stolen. So they're like, you know, we have evidence this time. Yeah. But in the past few months, they had noticed that other white men had been killed and they had noticed that like there were other white men in the area whose ears had worked when they were killed, their ears were missing, but there was such a like proliferation of crimes happening in Miami. Detectives say that sometimes there would be more than two homicides a day. So that's a lot when you have one homicide squad, I'm assuming doing the same thing. So I don't even think they could really keep track in 1986 of all of it and all the details of every crime. So it took them a while to put all the pieces together. But just in October of 1986, they really started focusing on the nation of Yahweh when Yahweh ben Yahweh bought an apartment building in Opalaka. And he bought this building and just sent his members in to kick out all the people who lived in there. And it was majorly black people who lived in this apartment building and he sent his members in there and literally took these people's stuff and just threw it out on the street 
What the hell, man? Yeah, and the landlord, like, there's news footage of this because it was just, like, a what the hell moment. And the landlord shows up and she's like, you can't just tell these people to leave. Like, what are you doing? You need a court order. But the Nation of Yahweh had so many members there that it kind of just, like, happened that day. Like, he was trying to kick people out. And it was really contentious. And two people on the news one named Rudy Bussard and another named Anthony Brown, two black men were on the news and they were like, yeah, we're not leaving. (laughs) Like, I'm not just leaving my home because this guy says so. He needs to basically make us move if he wants to. And things were looking a little out of control. And Robert Rozier, you can see him on the news at this whole little event that is happening that day. Who He's on the again? news. The football player. He's oh, the member. Okay. The member of um the Nation of Yahweh. I forgot for a second what we're the whole theme of this is the I NFL know, criminal. It's so crazy. But you'll see why it's kind of like I focus on him. But he was there that day that this incident is happening, and since it was on the news, you can see him in the background just like lurking. <laughs> but that night literally that night, police get calls from the Opalaka apartment building that there was a shooting and that two men were dead. And sadly it is the two men who were on the news who had said they were not leaving. Oh my God. And people nearby at this time were like certain it was Yahweh and Yahweh members. They were like, they weren't the only ones around. Like who else would it be? They're not even trying to hide it at this point. No, they're really, really not. And so officers actually go to investigate this thing They're driving there to investigate the scene, and they see somebody running into a wooded area, and they chase him down, and it's Robert Rozier. Oh. They're like, oh, what a surprise. And they search the area where he's running, and they find that he has two guns, one of which just happens to be Raymond Kelly's, and the other was the weapon that was used in the Opalaka apartment building shooting. Wow, so he had the weapon that was stolen from the man's car who was stabbed to death and his ears were taken, and he also had the weapon that just murdered two people in the apartment building. Yep. Oh, damn. Why would you carry both of those on you at the same time? I have no idea. At this point, I mean, they caught him with two guns, one that just killed two people and one that was, like, taken from a murder victim's car. It's not looking good for Robert, and I think that basically when he's picked up, he just kind of admits to stuff. And there were reports that he said to police that when he got picked up, he was 400 years old and didn't remember anything about his life before the nation of Yahweh. The the brainwashing? I don't know about that. (laughs) Yeah, The brainwashing goes so deep. It really, really does. And... I don't, I don't know if the police were threatening him or what, but he basically came clean to them about the whole nation of Yahweh and like everything it had ever done. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. He really was the thing that solidified criminal charges against Yahweh Ben Yahweh and other members of the nation, which is why I picked him for this story because it's like he is the downfall of... The nation of Yahweh. Yeah. (laughs) Because he comes clean to everything. 
And when he went to trial, I think there were 16 other people who also went to trial. Damn. So he got not only Yahweh Ben Yahweh locked up for this, he got 16 of the members. Yeah. And this all stemmed just from, just from him doing the shooting at the apartment building and then him getting picked up like a little bit after really just unraveled like four or five years of the nation of Yahweh. He went from being 400 to remembering every bad thing the nation had ever done in like a couple hours. I guess so. But yeah, he told them all about the white devils thing, the brotherhood, the bringing back um, the ears of the people. He tells the police all of it, all of the brutality. And he also tells it to a jury when uh, he ends up testifying against all these people. I imagine he took a crazy plea deal. Yeah, we'll talk about that. So he recalls on the stand walking the streets for hours, just basically people watching until he found like the perfect person to kill. And he would find people who were parked outside of bars or whatever, which is how he found Raymond Kelly. He also admitted to taking part in another killing him and a man named Carl Perry, who was also a Nation of Yahweh member, killed a man with basically swords. They were 12-inch Japanese-style knives that many of the death angels carried, and they repeatedly stabbed an unconscious man in the chest and then cut off one of his ears. What the hell? Yeah. So, he's just ratting everybody out. He also said that when he would bring back the ears to Yahweh Ben Yahweh, he would Yahweh would be ecstatic and be like really excited and would excuse them from doing temple chores the next day. And what? at one point he they went to the movies in celebration. I love too that they're like things with cults are crazy. On one day, you're or- you're ordered to brutally murder someone and cut off the ear, and then the next day, you're back just doing cult chores. Yeah, right? Like, what? How? It's just crazy, the level of brainwashing that you can do those things. It- it's not, like, traumatizing that you just killed someone and cut off their ear. You can just go back and do cult chores the next day. Yeah. And when he was asked on the stand how many people he killed... Rosier just was like seven <laughs> like no hesitation like seven he just knew already seven yep. wow just seven he says that at another point Yahweh told him to go out and kill a white devil so he said that he walked around the coconut grove area of Miami and spotted an intoxicated white man He followed him into his apartment and told him that he was an angel of Yahweh and then stabbed him to death. And then literally upon leaving the apartment building, he noticed another white guy inside the apartment and stabbed him to death too. What? These men, their names were Glendale Fowler and Kurt Doer. That that is seriously horrifying i cannot even imagine you are so you just murdered someone and your first thought isn't even to escape the crime but to just murder someone else right 
That's horrifying. And and it is sad that a lot of these victims really kind of get forgotten because it is so, you know how cults are. They're so crazy. We really tend to forget a lot of the victims and even the victims who are cult members. So it's like really sad that these two white men were just chilling in their apartment buildings and got slain and were kind of watched like prey. So creepy. It's sad, too, that, you know, like you just said, that's a great point, that a lot of the times when killings have no motive, when you're the senseless victim, a lot of the times your name goes unmentioned because there was no buildup or anything, and sometimes those are the most tragic, when you're just walking down your apartment hall and are murdered, like... Right. That's so sad. It is. And Rosier also said on the stand that out of the seven people that he killed, six were carrying out orders of Yahweh, and the seventh was a panhandler who annoyed him. What? So that is, uh, pretty cold. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It took, he was on the stand for, he was on the stand for three days of cross-examination. So that is, like, a long time. Yeah. And obviously, defense attorneys said that there was basically no physical evidence to corroborate his story and that he obviously had taken a plea deal, so they're like, he's just lying to get out of it. Which, they have, like, Rosier's DNA on it, but I'm not sure what exactly they had for other people. But, Rosier, because that is one thing a lot of Nation of Yahweh members say, is that they just think that Robert Rosier was crazy and blamed all of his stuff on the Nation of Yahweh members. But who is he bringing the ears back to? That, to me, is something that he definitely seems crazy, but at the same time, that, to me, doesn't seem like something he would make up on his own. And, yeah, and listen to this. They had, there's other, there's just other evidence that corroborates, like, stuff he told police. So, Rosier said that a guy named, nickname of Little John, he's a Nation of Yahweh member. Lil John. Lil John told Rozier that he had been taught by Yahweh to stab the victim in the kidney area to cause the victim to go into shock. Police found James Myers, who was tragically murdered, and he had been stabbed in the back and in the kidney area, and his ears had been cut. <gasps> so, that's like one, you know, thing. Rosier had also said that him and the other member, Carl Perry, had killed a white man, as I said, with the knives. Uh, that man's name was Austin Bellinger. Police did find his body lying near a canal. So it was like, I mean, he gave details about other members that did end up being true. Uh, I don't really know. I mean, I don't know how much he said was true and how much maybe was just a lot, but there was also an incident that I believe Rosier knew information about when back in, back before 1986, when Yahweh Ben Yahweh was still trying to expand, he was in Delray Beach trying to expand his following, and the people there basically just weren't having it, didn't really want the Nation of Yahweh members in their area, and that night, mysteriously, one woman's house was firebombed and tragically it killed her small baby in its crib. Oh my god. Yeah, and they never knew what happened about that. 
But they figured out that that was at the direction of Yahweh ben Yahweh because they had basically said they didn't want him in the area. Like, what the heck? What the heck? He's literally killing anyone who opposes him. The fact that to kill an infant who doesn't even have a choice. An innocent black child. Like, and you're also point, saying that you're a black savior, but you're taking a child's life who's black. Like, what? That, to me, is one of the craziest things about this, that he founded this whole platform and got so much of, it seems like, a lot of the black community to support him. Then for him to betray, yeah, at the same time, the people who he's supposed to support, that's really sad. Yeah, and so Rosier says he committed six killings under Yahweh's direction. We know about four of them for sure. I, I'm sure he was, like, involved in some other ones. You know, he's, like, involved in, honestly, so many of them. Oh, Claire Walters, he was found in an abandoned hotel with his ears cut off and... Rosier, I believe, had a part in that, too. So, you know, he was, like, playing a part, and it wasn't like it's just him killing these people. There were a good amount of members out there killing white men and taking their ears, basically. But Rosier did say that he did, he was a part in six of those. And... I know this was really a, like, summary of the whole story because it's all just so crazy and stuff, but Rozier was sentenced to 22 years for his cooperation, and he had to go into the witness protection program because the nation of Yahweh had threatened to kill him, like, many times. But after, in 1996, after 10 years behind bars, Rozier was paroled and given a new identity. But in 1999, he told Associated Press that he felt remorse for his crimes and that he had rebuilt his life in an intense spiritual and intellectual transformation. However, I was going to say, it's kind of like messed up that he got out after 10 years because, you know... It definitely, and these people are definitely brainwashed because it's a cult, but that doesn't excuse the fact that you murdered six to seven people. Yeah, and so, this part, I don't really, what, I'm not even going to say anything. On February 5th, 1999, Rozier was arrested in El Dorado County, California for bounced checks. Rozier, because he, this charge would have just been a misdemeanor. However, California had a then three strikes law, which was basically like if you had three strikes, your penalty was huge. And this was his third strike. And he had got caught doing this before when he was in the NFL. Exactly. So this is his third strike. And he went to trial for this, for writing the bad checks, and he was sentenced to prison for 25 years to life. Damn. Yeah. Which, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, when you think about it, committing three felonies and just because you committed three, you could get 25 to life is, like, insane. I don't think that's California's law anymore because it does just seem a little... It's crazy because when you think about it, someone can get caught for writing bad checks three times yeah. and do 25 to life. Yeah, like that much is a little bit insane. But he is serving 25 to life as of 2001. 
So, wow. I don't know. And that's really interesting because he, he had it all. He had, that's what the judge said when he made his sentence. He literally, the judge was like, you got off scot-free and you wasted it. Like you had a new identity, a new life, a second chance in every sense of the word. After you admitted to killing seven people, one for no reason. That's just like, come on, man. The uncashed and writing bad checks is just like, come on. And I know his stint in the NFL was short, but it doesn't seem like it was short by any means of his athletic abilities. It seems like it was short because of his inability to stop committing crimes. And that is one thing with the Nation of Yahweh members, like, they basically say he arrived and he was the chaos. Like, he is what made it crazy there. But then it's just like there were other white men who had their ears gone. And the murders of Ashton Green and um, Carlton Carey happened before, I believe, Rosier was even a part. Yeah. So, so that, to me, I agree. And it's kind of like, even if he was the cause of it, I don't understand how a member could say that Yahweh Ben Yahweh didn't fuel it or cause it. Even if someone in the group joins and they're violent, Yahweh, Yahweh, Jesus, Yahweh, (laughs) Yahweh, (laughs) Yahweh is telling them to go do these violent acts. So that is crazy to me that people kind of say he's the cause. But at the same time, on the flip side, it is kind of the police taking a lot of his word for granted. But I do agree with you that there's just too much evidence that suggests that he's not the only one doing this. And, like, the fact that they're cutting off ears and bringing it back to Yahweh Ben Yahweh is pretty clear that he had a role in this. And, you know, it's also really interesting when I was thinking about this when you were telling it towards the end is it's crazy the fact that you know, this kind of all started with him wanting to support the black community. I'm sure for the people in his cult, that made it 10 times harder to leave because, you know, he would say like, you're going to support the white man or you're going to run and do this. I'm sure for them, it made it a lot harder to leave because you're not only leaving Yahweh Ben Yahweh, but it's also like you're almost betraying the black community that you've made there. Yeah, and we're not getting political on this episode by any means, but I'm sure it also was just, like, for black people at that time, I'm sure Yahweh was portraying himself as also, if you're not with me, then you are with the white man. Like, I'm sure that's what it was coming off as, either intentionally or unintentionally. I don't know. But and I'm sure it's like, you know, be with us and we'll protect you. Like, look, we're beating people up if they talk shit on us. We'll protect you. Yeah. And, like, the story, I feel like, has so much going on. Like, there is so much stuff. And the Delray Beach firebombing is, like, a big, big part of the whole story, which... Like, that in and of itself is a whole thing. There were there was a witness after this whole, like, um, I think years later who came out and said that he had actually witnessed the killing of Ashton Green. And Ashton Green had been brought, like, to the camp that night to talk to Yahweh Ben Yahweh. And Yahweh had taken him back to, in, like, one of the rooms. And basically, like, a group of men just beat him to death. And then Yahweh said, like, cut his head off. And they did. So... 
there's other people who have definitely said that Yahweh was pulling the strings. It wasn't just Rosier. But it's funny that at one, like, we forget about Robert Rosier until everyone wants to pin the blame on someone and then he's, like, thrown back into the mix. So like, he's true. really not talked about at all his involvement in the cult until it gets to the end of the story where it's like they're looking for someone to blame. Did he and Rosier, was it confirmed that he did the firebombing or no? He no. just told them. Yeah, I think he just like gave them information on that. I don't. I was going to say. I don't think he really, I don't think he had any part in that. He wasn't charged with anything with the firebombing where like Yahweh Ben Yahweh was charged. That was one of the things Yahweh Ben Yahweh was charged with. Did you say what his charges were? Did he get life? Yahweh Ben Yahweh and all of his followers? Surprisingly, Yahweh was found not guilty of racketeering and extortion charges, but he was convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Yahweh Ben Yahweh was sentenced to 18 years in prison, but he was released on parole in 2001. However, he didn't make it long because I believe he had prostate cancer and he died in 2007 at the age of 71. So, uh, he really didn't get that much time. So you mean to tell me that there were seven people killed, could be more, including a baby, and someone only served 10 years and he served, what, 18? 18. Mm-hmm. Something more needs to be done. And you know, it's a really interesting point that they say, like... There are people who think that it's low-key a conspiracy that maybe he didn't have anything to do with these murders and the government was trying to shut down a strong black man. Like, it is. It does raise a good point of, did Robert Rozier, yeah, he might have been a member and he might have been going crazy and cutting off people's ears, but truly, does that mean that Yahweh Ben Yahweh told him to do it? Or did the police just want to take down... A strong black man. And these are straight up. These are not my opinions. These are just what other people say. So don't be like, and it's crazy. This is just what people think. And now that you bring up that point on the flip side, if you were Robert and you were wanting to kill people, that's kind of the perfect excuse to blame it on this community, which you've already been a part of for years and have at times done violent acts and admitted to it. That could also be the perfect excuse. So. That's crazy. It's just also, like, I want to believe that more because I want to believe the crazier aspect. But at the same time, it's kind of hard when there were other people who literally testified to his point, kind of saying that, no. Yeah, and other people had said that they saw it. Like, I don't know. But. Damn, that is crazy. Long story short. (laughs) Wow. Let us know what you guys think about that. Let us know if you think that. You know, if you believe Robert's side of the story and that this was Yahweh Ben Yahweh, I feel like I am 80%. I definitely think, honestly, that this was a cult. 80% of me thinks it was a cult. And, you know, Robert and others were coerced and, you know, into doing this. But there is a small part of me, 20%, that is like, could it have been a conspiracy because of the climate in Miami and them wanting to take down a strong black man who was developing a strong black community. Yeah, I really don't know, but that can be for you guys to decide. Yeah, let us know what you guys think about that and let us know if you guys are familiar with this or if you want us to do like a whole episode about cults. Yes, let us know. But 
thank you guys as always for listening. And we hope you guys like this. We hope you guys tune into the Super Bowl. And we hope you guys are staying safe as always. Yep. Hope you guys are having a great winter and happy Valentine's Day and all that. We love you and we appreciate you. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.